Hello everyone, and welcome to the February 16th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Skarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And let's get started with our litigation report. Arguments will be presented to the California Supreme Court next month in a case of an injured worker whose death from a prescription drug overdose was ruled non-compensable by the 4th District Court of Appeal. The High Court is scheduled to hear arguments in South Coast Framing versus Workers' Compensation Appeals Board on March 3rd. The case involves Brandon Clark, a South Coast employee who suffered back, head, neck, and chest injuries when he fell off of a roof in 2008. His workers' compensation doctor prescribed an antidepressant, Vicodin, and Neurontin. Mr. Clark also was prescribed Xanax and Ambien for his personal physician for anxiety and sleep problems. He died, allegedly, from the combined effects of these industrial and non-industrial drugs. His dependents filed for workers' comp death benefits. She supported her claim with the report of Dr. Bresler, who concluded that Brandon's death was secondary to an accidental overdose. In reaching this conclusion, Dr. Bresler stated the specific combination of medicines all separately and in combination had the capacity to induce respiratory depression and respiratory arrest. Thus, there was a mixed cause of both industrial and non-industrially prescribed medications. However, the agreed medical examiner, Dr. Thomas Bruff, had a more detailed analysis of the interaction of the drugs and came to the opposite conclusion. A workers' compensation judge concluded that Brandon Clark died as a result of medications he took after suffering an industrial injury. The defendants petitioned for writ of review after the WCAB denied reconsideration of the decision in favor of Brandon's wife and children. The Court of Appeal in the unpublished case concluded that the board erred in denying reconsideration because the WCJ's decision was not supported by substantial evidence. The dispute will now be resolved by the California Supreme Court after oral arguments are heard next month. The Court of Appeal addressed the question of whether the UR process is an official proceeding within the meaning of the California anti-slap statute. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Electronic Waveform Lab versus EK Health Services. A waveform manufactures and sells an H-wave device which physicians may prescribe to treat various muscular injuries. The state fund contracts with EK Health to provide UR services for its claim process. Waveform filed suit against EK Health claiming it was a monopolistic gatekeeper to a significant and substantial market share of workers who are injured on the job. Waveform further alleged that EK Health reviewers conspired to defame Waveform and consistently denied the H-Wave device for treatment of individual patients. They allegedly urged treating physicians to remove H-Wave equipment from doctor's offices and physical therapy clinics. Waveform alleged that the conduct of all of the defendants violated the Cartwright Act and that the acts of EK Health and of a subset of the reviewers constituted intentional interference with prospective economic advantage and trade libel. EK Health and the reviewers filed a special motion to strike the complaint under the California anti-slap law, which was denied. The denial of the EK Health motion was not appealed. Waveform then filed a First Amendment complaint, adding the state fund as a defendant. 
Waveform alleged that a state fund had implemented a blanket policy to deny and reject physicians' prescriptions for utilization of the H-Wave device while creating the appearance of reviewer independence. Waveform alleged this policy violates the independent medical decision-making process. State Fund filed its own anti-slap motion seeking to dismiss both causes of action alleged against it. The trial court ruled that State Fund had established that its actions arose from official proceedings, an element required to apply the anti-slap statute, and granted the State Fund's anti-slap motion. The Court of Appeal reversed. The key issue on appeal was whether UR is an official proceeding authorized by law, as that term is used in the anti-slap statute. The state fund argued that official proceedings include administrative agency actions, including the Workers' Compensation Utilization Review System. Waveform argued that the UR process was not quasi-judicial or part of a comprehensive statutory licensing scheme, which is subject to judicial review by administrative mandate. The Court of Appeal agreed with the Waveform and ruled that UR is not an official proceeding subject to anti-slap protection by concluding that the UR review is a medical rather than legal and informal rather than formal process. For this reason, the trial court erred in concluding that the utilization review is protected by anti-slap law, the judgment dismissing state fund from Waveform's first amended complaint was reversed. And now our fraud report. The Antioch businesswoman will serve 60 days in jail and pay restitution after pleading guilty to wage theft, tax fraud, and a workers' compensation violation in her operation of elderly care facilities in Antioch and Brentwood. Authorities say that this is perhaps the first conviction in an industry that is rampant with fraud. 62-year-old Florinda versus Yambao operated six fluorine white dove care homes in Antioch and Brentwood, which remain in operation after her guilty plea. However, her three-year probation term requires her to install proper payroll systems and undergo state audits. She's required to pay $453,000 in back wages and yet-to-be-determined tax charges and state fines as part of her deal. Nearly $72,000 was recovered from Yambao during a series of September raids on care homes throughout Contra Costa County. Investigators say workers were paid as little as $4 an hour under the table, and in some cases, caregivers worked 12 to 16 hours a day for $50 to $80. After news stories about this arrest were published, law enforcement offices were flooded with accusations against more homes, causing them to conclude this is an industry rampant with fraud. The Contra Costa Employer Fraud Task Force is investigating the owners of the nine other care homes that operate 40 facilities in the county. The investigation has uncovered a pattern of underground economy violations. The probe has also found many of the workers are mistreated, working long hours for less than minimum wage, living in substandard conditions, and being forced to care for patients during their time off. After a series of September raids on 19 residential care homes in Walnut Creek, Concord, Brentwood, and Antioch, authorities said around 60 workers were owed $2 million. 
Security experts are warning healthcare and insurance companies that 2015 will be the year of the healthcare hack. Cyber criminals are increasingly attracted to troves of personal inform information held by U.S. insurers and hospitals that command high prices on the underground market. Anthem, the number two U.S. health insurer, disclosed a massive breach of its database containing nearly 80 million records. That hack followed a breach last year at Community Health Systems, which compromised some 4.5 million records. In the past, cyber criminals focused their efforts on attacking banks and retailers to steal financial data, including online banking credentials and payment card numbers. But as those companies boost security and using stolen credit card numbers has become more difficult and prices on criminal exchanges have also dropped, this has prompted hackers to turn to the less secure medical sector, just as the amount of digital healthcare data is growing dramatically. Security experts say stolen healthcare data can be used to fraudulently obtain medical services and prescriptions, as well as to commit identity theft and other financial crimes. Insurers, medical equipment makers, and other companies say that they've been preparing for breaches after seeing a wave of attacks on other industries. Cigna Corporation has looked to financial and defense companies for best practices, including hiring hackers to break into their own systems. St. Jude Medical said that the company increased investment in cybersecurity significantly over the last few years. The insurers, United Health Group and Aetna, have warned investors about the risks of cybercrime in their annual report since 2011. United Health has said the costs to eliminate or address the threats could be significant and that remediation may not be successful. Aetna has cited the automated attempts to gain access to public-facing networks, denial-of-service attacks that seek to disrupt websites, attempted virus infections, phishing, and efforts to infect websites with malicious content. Aetna closely follows the technical details of every breach to look for opportunities to continually improve its IT security program and the health sector's information protection practices broadly. And in regulatory news, the DWC has adopted and filed an amendment to the official medical fee schedule with the Secretary of State. The regulation amends Title VIII California Code of Regulations sections and is effective March 5, 2015. It reiterates the applicable dates of fee schedule provisions that are declaratory of existing laws and addresses the operating disproportionate share hospital adjustments to inpatient hospitals and also addresses the inpatient hospital outlier payments for eligible transfer cases as well as it updates inpatient hospital factors to 2014 and makes minor adjustments to various sections of the official medical fee schedule. The Department of Workers' Compensation has also issued an administrative director order adjusting the inpatient hospital section of the OMFS to conform to changes in the 2015 Medicare payment system as required by Labor Code Section 5307.1. The effective date of these changes is March 5, 2015. Further information can be found on the DWC website's official medical fee schedule page. And in medical news, medications such as Ablify and Attic 
are being used off-label to treat injured workers, prompting the workers' comp sector to focus on curbing inappropriate prescribing that may be pricey and dangerous. Research shows that about one in five of all prescriptions are written for off-label use or uses outside those approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Experts say the practice has popped up in workers' compensation with drugs such as Abilify, an antipsychotic that is approved as an add-on treatment for depression, but inappropriately used as a loan treatment of injured workers' depression or anxiety. Abilify is a very expensive medication. About $6.5 billion was spent on Abilify in the United States in 2013. The impact of off-label drugs is difficult to quantify in workers' comp since it's not always clear why a medication is prescribed. However, sources said off-label use in comp is seen pr primarily in pain management. Opiates make up a large percentage of off-label prescriptions. The work compensation payer community is now spending $1.5 billion a year on opiates. This is important for claims administrators to be familiar with medications commonly prescribed off-label so they can appropriately flag and monitor claims. State rules also can come into play. For example, a recent update proposed for the California Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule could limit off-label use by requiring physicians to prove with a study or alternate guideline that the treatment contrary to the state's schedule is appropriate. Off-label prescribing becomes more of a problem with potentially dangerous and expensive drugs such as Actic instead of Vicodin or Norco. Actic, which is FDA approved for breakthrough chronic cancer pain, is a drug that has absolutely no place in workers' comp. Workers' compensation experts say cost savings, better access to care, immediate triaging of injuries, and faster claims closings are just some of the benefits of telemedicine. The Texas Department of Insurance Workers' Compensation Research Division defined telemedicine as a delivery of medical care and information via telecommunications networks, and its use is growing according to a number of reports. The TDI report noted two areas of Texas workers' compensation system that could benefit from the telemedicine, the designated doctor and the spinal surgery second opinion processes. In both cases, injured workers must go to doctors other than his or her treating doctor for second opinion examinations. But by using telemedicine, an injured worker could have access to designated doctors or second opinion spinal specialists already familiar with the workers' comp system. The report indicated some of the benefits could include greater conformity among second opinions, increased injured worker satisfaction with the process, fewer disputes, and an electronic record of procedures followed. Another benefit of telemedicine is that employees working in remote locations could still seek treatment guidance. The TDI report noted that Texas especially could benefit since it's a state that is 80% rural. One drawback, the report noted, that telecommunications infrastructure limitations currently exist in rural regions. Texas Mutual Insurance Company explained why the company is considering the use of telemedicine. Texas is a very expansive geographical area, and in many rural areas, there are very few or no medical providers to administer medical care. Telemedicine is an option it is exploring. 
Benefits of telemedicine include improvement on access to care in rural areas, the ability to provide fast non-emergency care, improved cost efficiency by reducing non-emergency care delivered by hospitals, a reduction in travel time, and triaging an injury for medical severity and referral to the most appropriate level of care. Companies like Triage Now have a smartphone application that allows the injured worker to take pictures and send them to nurse real time. The company says telemedicine is becoming more popular, especially with some experts predicting physician shortages in the near future. But the road drawbacks. Telemedicine is relatively new to the workers' compensation market. The main drawback will be in the patient's experience. The lack of face-to-face -face care may feel cold and impersonal, and the employee may become put off by the experience. Also, the lack of in-person examination could lend itself to additional diagnostic tests being ordered by physicians. Under Senate Bill 899, apportionment can now be used on causation, and apportionment can be used to divide a specific injury case into two cases, the original specific injury and then a continuous trauma case if continuous trauma played a causation role in a current medical problem. This strategy can take a life pension specific injury claim and reduce it to two smaller cases, neither of which triggers a life pension. For this reason, it becomes significant to follow medical literature and causation risk factors are developed in the medical literature. As an example, a new study published in a journal of the American College of Rheumatology shows activities that will increase the risk of low back pain by eight times. Understanding which risk factors contribute to back pain is an important first step in determining causation by continuous trauma. This study is one of the first to examine brief exposure to a range of modifiable triggers for an acute episode of low back pain. For this study, researchers recruited nearly 1,000 participants from 300 primary care clinics who had an acute low back pain episode. Subjects were asked to report exposure to 12 physical or psychosocial factors on the 96 hours prior to the onset of back pain. The risk of a new episode of low back pain significantly increased due to a range of triggers that could be a basis for apportionment of permanent disability. As the number of Americans age 80 and older continues to rise, so does the percentage of patients with acute spinal conditions. And a new study shows that these octogenarians are just as likely as anyone else to benefit from spine surgery. A new study appearing in the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery found significant benefit from surgical treatment for lumbar spinal stenosis and no higher overall complication or mortality rate for patients aged 80 and older. The U.S. population aged 80 and older increased 22% to 11.2 million over the last decade. And approximately 47% of Americans aged 60 and older have spinal stenosis, a narrowing of the spinal canal due to the wear and tear associated with aging. In this study, researchers reviewed data for 105 patients aged 80 and older with over 1,000 younger patients with lumbar stenosis alone or combined with the degenerative spondylolisthesis. Levels of pain assessment of general health complications, the need for revision surgery, and mortality 
were measured post-operatively for up to four years. The study demonstrated that surgery for lumbar stenosis and degenerative spondylolisthesis provides significant benefit compared to non-operative treatment in those patients over the age of 80. Patients in this age group had significant improvement in their function after surgery and complication rates comparable to the younger demographic. Thus, surgery should be considered a viable treatment option for these lumbar conditions in patients aged older than 80. Future studies are needed to better assess the cost-effectiveness of surgery in this patient population. Reserving claim files for lifetime medical awards will be more accurate if studies such as this are taken into account. And in other news, Patriot National announced the acquisition of Phoenix Risk Management Insurance Services headquartered in Roseville, California, and Decision UR software company offering sophisticated and effective utilization review solutions in a workers' compensation industry. Material terms of the transaction were disclosed in an SEC Form 8K. The company agreed to acquire substantially all of the assets of Phoenix for nearly $2 million in cash, plus a performance-based cash earnout of up to $3 million. The company did not assume any material develop liabilities. The transaction closed on February 4, 2015. With the acquisitions of Phoenix Risk Management and Decision UR, Stephen Marino, the CEO, said that Patriot is executing its strategy to bolster its already strong franchise. Phoenix's well-established relationships with clients and carriers provide Patriot with valuable contracts and access to new markets. And Decision UR enhances the robust suite of services offered by Patriot Technology Solutions, which recently changed its name from Carrier and Technology Solutions Incorporated. Phoenix Risk Management Insurance Services has served the California workers' compensation industry for more than 36 years by offering niche market specialty insurance products and risk management tools. Decision UR software conducts workers' compensation utilization review by reducing the time to approve, modify, delay, defer, or deny treatment requests. To further expedite decision-making, the software includes an automatic approval feature as well as custom protocols provided by clients to determine medical necessity. These custom protocols can interface with outside claims systems, bill review platforms, and medical case management software programs. Patriot National is a national provider of comprehensive outsourcing solutions within the workers' compensation marketplace for insurance companies, employers, local governments, and reinsurance captives. It provides general agency services, specialty underwriting and policyholder services, and claims administration services to its insurance carrier clients and other clients. Patriot is headquartered in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with seven regional offices around the country. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks again for joining us today, and drop by again for next week's news.